0: Welcome to another episode of Berean's Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the Scriptures we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the Gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. Hey, good morning, faith family. Morning. If you've got your Bible, go to Psalm 42. Psalm 42, continuing in our series that we've been in this summer called Traveling Light. Uh, we've been uh, really kind of unpacking uh, and basing this off of the invitation that Jesus gives uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, for my yoke is easy and my burden uh, is light. A lot of times life gets heavy. And there's baggage and burdens that we tend to carry around, and Jesus is inviting us to come to a place of rest. Uh, he wants to take our burdens from us and give us freedom and peace in that. So we've been unpacking a lot of uh, different issues that tend to uh, be the baggage or burdens that we carry around. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to talk about one that I know you're going to be able to relate to, and that's the baggage or burden of discouragement. Show of hands, how many of you have ever been discouraged in life? Yeah, almost everybody. You've you've been through seasons not just where you had maybe a bad day, but the season itself was very dark. Uh, like dark clouds just kind of hovered over you. And those are some very difficult times and some very heavy times. And we all can know what it's like to experience this. And Psalm 42 may be uh, one of the best passages to really understand uh, this baggage and burden of discouragement and what. What we are to do so that we can travel light. So if you're able to stand, would you please do so as we read Psalm 42? And by the way, faith family, would you, while we read this, would you just go ahead and start praying? Um, I've read testimonies at different times. Um, and a lot of those testimonies are people that are in places of deep despair. And God brings them out of that and gives them hope. And I have no doubt that there are people here in this service that God has brought you here today specifically for this word. And so as we read Psalm 42, would you just go ahead and start praying for the work that God's going to do in our lives. Amen? Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love and at night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. But I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down? Oh, my soul, why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Faith family, I'm so thankful. Passages like this are in the Bible. Will you pray for me? And with me, let's ask God to speak to us today. Let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for passages like this. They just give us the freedom to be real. The next few moments to talk about real seasons of life and Where we can find hope and how we can travel light when we're weighed down by discouragement. So, I know that there are people in this place today that are in that situation right now. And I'm very optimistic that those are not. They will be at some point. And so we need Your Word. We need Your truth to guide us. So come talk to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, And God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. A few years ago, I started a tradition with my kids. They're called Daddy Days. Uh, during the school year, uh, my schedule and their schedule, it's not always the same with my weekend commitments. And so uh, I don't often get a lot of time with them. I get some time, but not a lot. And so we've uh, tried to be real intentional to make up for that during the summer. So several years ago, I started doing something that I call daddy days. This is where each of my kids individually can pick anywhere they want to go. And do anything they want to do within financial and geographic reason. And I set those boundaries. I ain't taking you to Maui. And we ain't going to Paris unless it's Paris, Tennessee. Okay? And we've had some wonderful memories through that. I mean, we've had, uh, you know, a day at a mall, mall of America. We've gone to baseball games. We've had a trip to Chicago, overnight at a hotel. I mean, it's just been really, really some great memories. Well, this year, this summer, my son, for his daddy day, wanted to go fishing and camping in Canada. I thought, well, that's pretty close. I've never done that. He's never done that. So I said, sure. And as you would typically do, I start to research what's that going to be like and what I need to be prepared for. And as I was researching this, I came across an article on what you should do if you're camping in Canada and you encounter a bear. I thought, that's probably something I should know. And everything that I'm about to share with you is true. It said this, Canada is home to both grizzly bears and black bears, and you can run into bears everywhere, even in town or in the remote country. I'm really encouraged by this point. Bears are everywhere. Fantastic. I'll just walk out of a grocery store and be eaten by a bear. This is going to be wonderful. Both grizzly bears and black bears don't like surprises, so when you're in the woods, be loud, you know, like sing a camp song. Really? That's my strategy? Singing? They may eat me just to get me to shut up. Or, the article said, you could attach a small bell to your belt. That ain't happening. Do not explore dark caves. Hadn't planned to. If you're spotted by a bear, speak to the bear in a low, calm voice. Sure I will. Hello, bear. Like, who writes this stuff? And then slowly raise your arms in the air and do not make eye contact. I fully expected the next phrase to be, then coat yourself in barbecue sauce because you're about to be lunch." That's what it feels like. Another option, if that doesn't work, though it's less desirable, is to play dead. Now I'm relying on my acting skills first singing, now acting, but only play dead if you meet a grizzly, because black bears will see you as a, quote, free lunch. (laughs) That's nice. Remember, many bears charge as a bluff. They may run and then veer off at the last second or stop abruptly. Stand your ground until the bear stops. <laughs> sure. Then back away slowly. Whatever you do, don't run. They will chase you. And bears can run up to 30 miles per hour. All I could think about after I read that was this scene. Big, big. Big Bear! (laughs) No! Truth! Truth! Oh, dear! We're glad you're home, honey. Big Bear! Chase! Big Bear! Chase! What did he say? What? Big Bear! Chase me! That is exactly what's going through my mind! Needless to say, my son and I had a wonderful trip to Nashville, Tennessee. No, we went to Canada, had a great time, praise God, didn't see a bear. I share that with you because I want you to imagine, Faith Family, how hard it would be to have a bear charging at you, and you're supposed to tell yourself, you know, I read once that sometimes bears veer off at the last second. I've heard that sometimes they stop abruptly. Like, no chance! That is not a strategy that you are likely going to do. And here's why. Because every single one of us knows this. It's hard to stand firm in what's right when everything in you wants to run. It's really, really hard To stand firm in the truth, to stand firm in what you know, to stand firm in what's right when everything in you says, run. You know that. It's hard to stick to the budget when everything in you says, come on, buy it. It's hard to stay in the relationship when everything says, it's over. It's hard to discipline as a parent when everything in you says, but they're so cute. It's hard to respond in a Christ-like way when everything in you wants to get angry. And listen to me, I need everybody right here. It's hard to hold on to hope. When everything around you and everything in you feels hopeless. That's exactly the situation the psalmist in Psalm 42 is in. Look at what he says, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God! For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Look at verse 11. It's the same thing. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. In other words, faith family, discouragement is charging. Despair is charging. And the psalmist is in this position. I, I want to stand firm. I want to stand in what I know. I want to stand in what I believe. Namely, God doesn't forsake his own, but everything in me feels like he has. I I want to stand firm in hope, but everything in me says this is hopeless. In other words, the psalmist is in the tension that you and I are often in. Namely, do you stand firm in what you know or do you give in to how you feel? And that struggle is so hard because the psalmist is so discouraged. He's so discouraged. I want, I want first to just describe the discouragement that the psalmist is in. I want to try to be faithful to the text and unpack this quickly and show you the levels or the areas of which the psalmist is discouraged. He's discouraged in all four. Maybe you're here today and you're discouraged in one or two of these. First, he's discouraged relationally. Verse 10 says, As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? This psalmist is experiencing the wounding of words. Have you ever been there? He has adversaries that are speaking things into his life that cut him to the core. It's like a deadly wound, he says. Do you remember what James, the brother of Jesus, said about the tongue? James 3.5, the tongue is a small member yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Oh, how words can do damage, can't they? Oh, how they can cut. Now, specifically, this psalmist, his adversaries have made spiritual conclusions about his life. In other words, because of what he's going through, when they look at his life, they assume you must be the kind of person God would abandon. You must be the kind of person that God would forsake. They've made these accusations, God must not love you You must have done something wrong. Maybe you're not a strong Christian. And these words have him deeply discouraged. Secondly, he's discouraged circumstantially. Now, we don't know what it is that's happened, but something's happened that's caused these adversaries to say what they're saying. In other words, think about it this way. If everything's going well in his life, they wouldn't be saying what they're saying. It wouldn't be like, well, man, everything's going awesome in your life. God must have forsaken you. That doesn't make any sense at all. If everything is going great, you're going to say, man, God must love you. Everything's going your way. Look at all the blessings that are coming. Something's happened. We don't know what's happened. But circumstantially, there is an event or maybe a series of events that's happened that's caused this taunting and made him deeply Discouraged. Thirdly, he's discouraged emotionally. Look at verse 3. Some of you relate to this. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? He is on the brink of tears all the time. Have you ever been there where like the least little thing, boom, the floodgates open? You stub your toe, you're five minutes late. It doesn't even take anything major and you just fall apart. That's where he's at. He eats three meals a day and snacks in between and they're all tears. He says, why are you downcast? Oh, my soul. This is the spiral that tends to happen. You have a bad day or you're in a bad situation and you get dejected. If that lingers for a while and that bad day becomes a bad week or a bad month, you become discouraged. If that lingers for a while, the outlook becomes even more bleak and you become depressed. Now note here, I am not talking about clinical depression. I believe that is a real thing, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the depression that comes from the trials and tribulations of life. And if that lingers for very long, you begin to think it's never going to get better. There's no hope. And you start to despair. That's the emotional situation the psalmist is in. He is deeply discouraged. Fourthly, he's discouraged spiritually. Look at verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? In other words, he feels like God has abandoned him. He feels like God said, finished with you. Done with you. I don't care about you anymore. He feels like God is gone. And then look at verse 11. It says, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. Meaning, I'm not praising Him right now. God, I believe I'll praise You again one day, but that ain't today. just doesn't feel like praising. And then verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession of the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. In other words, he's isolated and disconnected from the people of God. This is his spiritual condition. I I trust that I have faithfully unpacked the condition of the psalmist, namely that he is discouraged relationally accusations. He's discouraged circumstantially. There's some kind of event that's happened. He's discouraged emotionally. Tears flow all the time. And he is discouraged spiritually. He can't feel God. doesn't really want to praise God. And he is isolated from the community of God. Now, notice how the psalm ends in verse 12. And someone quoted Romans 8.28 and everything was better in the morning. Is that what your Bible says? Some of you are still looking for verse 12. There's not a verse 12. That's just how we want a psalm like this to end. Because there are some Christians, and you know I love you, but if you've heard me preach very much, you know that I tend to push you and make you uncomfortable where everything has to be sugar and spice. And everything's nice. And Christianity is just kittens and cupcakes. And we're always supposed to be happy. That's not real. That's not life. And that ain't good Bible. The psalm just ends. And what I want you to know this morning, Faith Family, is that what you're seeing in Psalm 42 is not abnormal. It's not weak Christian. It's actually a very common experience, even for the people of God. Will you be real with me this morning, or did you come to church to be fake? Amen. This is real. Spiritual discouragement. Dark seasons are a part of life, and they have been experienced by many of the saints of God. Let me just give you now some examples of Psalm forty two in the Bible. I wish I had more time to give you four, but I'm going to try to give you four quickly, which is still preaching Psalm 42 by example. Take, for instance, Elijah. Do you remember Elijah? First Kings 17, 18, 19. He's one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. Experiences an incredible victory of God. He's prophesying during the time of Ahab. He's an evil, evil king. Assyria is on the rise, they're threatening Israel, and so King Ahab decides, uh, you know what I'll do, I'll marry the daughter of the king of Assyria, her name is Jezebel. Now that was a wise move politically, terrible move spiritually, because with Jezebel is not only her things, but her gods. And she brings idol worship into the nation of Israel, and Israel begins to worship the gods of Baal. And because of that, God brings judgment through a famine for three and a half years. During this, 1 Kings 18, Elijah has that famous showdown between the 450 prophets of Baal there at Mount Carmel. Do you remember? Elijah says, take your sacrifice, cut it up and place it on the altar, and then call out to your gods and ask them to bring fire down from heaven. And they do from morning until noon, but all they get is crickets. Silence. So Elijah jumps in at noon and says this. This is verse 27. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he's musing or relieving himself. Maybe your God's not potty trained. I don't know. I love that that's in the Bible, by the way. Or he is on a journey. Maybe he's on vacation. Perhaps he's asleep. And must be awakened. I told you there's a spiritual gift of sarcasm. That's my proof text right there. He is mocking them. And they keep calling out and it's nothing. And so then it's Elijah's turn. He takes a sacrifice, cuts it, puts it on the altar, says, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to take four jars of water and we're going to pour it on that, not just once, not just twice, but three times. And then he calls down for fire to come from heaven. And here's what happens, verse 38. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, He is God. Yahweh, He is God. And Elijah goes nuts. He is so happy. Are you kidding me? Did you see what God just did? Revival is going to come to the nation of Israel, so he thinks. Then Jezebel takes one of those prayer request cards you know, in the bulletin and doesn't use it for a prayer request and writes a nasty note to the pastor, hypothetically speaking. Never with a name. And this is what it said. 1 Kings 19.2 Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, you got 24 hours, buddy, in your mind. You're dead. To which I would say, based on what I just experienced, who cares? I ain't afraid of you. Bring it on, woman. If God's for me, who can be against me? Do you, know, do you know your Bible? Because that ain't how he responds. Verse 3 of chapter 19, Then he was afraid. Watch. He arose and ran for his life. Are you serious? He came to Beersheba, which is as far south as you can go. I think that's spiritually as well. Which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. That is, he isolates. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, a barren place. And he sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die. Saying, it's enough. I'm done. I'm tired. Now, oh Lord, just take my life for I'm no better than my father's. How in the world do you go From that victory to the wilderness of despair. And let that be a lesson to us, faith family, that sometimes the biggest victories are followed by the darkest valleys. You write that down. And I could give you stories. Can I just be real with you? Can I just be real with you? I can tell you of times in ministry where the weekend could not have gone better and the car ride home could not have been darker. Sometimes the biggest victories are followed by the darkest valleys. What brought this discouragement and despair in Elijah's life? Just a few things quickly. I, I got a, a lot I want to give you this morning. First is just difficult people. It's the same that we see in Psalm 42. Namely, Elijah has a Jezebel and you may also. Namely, a Jezebel in your life that just wants to see you go down. Maybe it's an ex, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a coworker and they know just what to say and they know right when to send the email to wound you deeply you do realize that um, uh, this is one of the major reasons why pastors leave the ministry i'm not saying they should i'm just saying they do because the wounds can get old And you've felt that as you've had to deal with people in your life that can be difficult. A second reason is because of physical, emotional, or spiritual exhaustion. Elijah was engaged in spiritual warfare. That's exhausting. He ran over a 100 miles. He hasn't eaten or slept in days. He is empty. Now, if you've zoned out, zone back in as I read this from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Listen to this. He says, quote, you cannot isolate the spiritual from the physical, for we are body, mind and spirit. The greatest and best Christians, when they are physically weak, are more prone to an attack of spiritual depression than at any other time. Listen to me, listen to your pastor as he speaks truth into you this morning. We are Bereans, and we have historically prided ourselves. Look at how many Bible studies we offer. Look at all the programs we have. We dissect the Word. But some of you don't need another hour of Bible study. Some of you need another hour of sleep. Preferably not during the sermon, but nevertheless, you need sleep because we tend to think that we're being spiritual when we're in Bible study, but we're not being spiritual when we're at the dinner table. And yet we're to eat and drink to the glory of God. Our physical life impacts greatly our spiritual life. Amen. Take that as a word to you this morning. Elijah was also discouraged because of isolation. You see it in Psalm 42 as well. Elijah leaves his servant behind, the very one that was meant to help him and be there with him. I gotta keep moving quickly, but just jot this down. We often add to our burden by trying not to be a burden. You ever done that? Well, I don't really want to share this. I don't really want to let anybody in. I don't really want to talk. I don't really, because I don't want to be a burden to anybody else. Yeah, but you're only adding to your own burden because you're going to end up like Elijah and be alone. Also, we see his discouragement as a result of focusing on comparison rather than calling oh there's a sermon here when he says, I'm no better than my fathers. Take my life. I'm no better than them. You're not supposed to be them. You're supposed to be you. Quit comparing your life and ministry to somebody else. Well, I just don't have the money that they have, and I just don't have the marriage that they have, and I just can't speak like he can, and uh, our church doesn't grow the way that church is growing. It's like, stop it! You're adding the baggage and burden of discouragement because you're focused on comparison when you ought to be focused on calling. Elijah, I didn't ask you to be better than your fathers. I just asked you to do what I called you to do. And you're adding to your discouragement. When you compare. And then lastly, and I think this is the big one, Elijah, and then we've got other examples to look at, and that is unmet expectations. I am absolutely convinced that what happened at Mount Carmel made Elijah believe the nation would return to God. How could they not? Did you see the fire fall from heaven? Did you hear the sermon that guy preached? And yet the people remained hard. And it crushed him. It crushed him. And you've been there. You were certain the counseling would fix the marriage. You were certain the sermon would change their life. You were certain they would trust Christ. You just knew God was going to heal your spouse. And He didn't. And when it didn't happen you ran as far south as you could run into a wilderness of discouragement. It's not just Elijah. Do you remember Naomi? In the book of Ruth, it's also a dark dark time in the nation of Israel. Violence, war, idol worship, famine in the house of bread of all places, Bethlehem. Elimelech decides he's going to take his family and leave the Promised Land and go to Moab, and there he dies along with his two sons, leaving Naomi with nothing. And do you remember what she says when she comes back to the promised land, back to her people, and she walks into town, and people ask her, is this Naomi? Look at what the text says. So two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, don't call me that. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Don't call me Naomi. It's not how I feel right now. You want to know who I am? Here's who I am. Bitter's who I am. I left with everything, and I came back with nothing. I don't have a family. I don't have a future. You want to call me something? Call me Bitter. I love that the bible speaks that way i love that the bible is real like that she's despairing she's lost everything she's discouraged to say the least for some of the reasons that you and i might get discouraged everything was foreign to her For some of you, you're discouraged today. You're in a new city, a new church, a new school, starting a new job. Nothing is familiar to you anymore. And you've lost all those securities and that's made you discouraged. Maybe like her, you're in a famine. Relationally, financially, everything you touch seems to be dry and fruitless. Maybe like her, there's been a death in the family. You've lost people close to you. She lost her husband and two sons. Maybe you've lost someone and it's sent you into despair. Or maybe like Naomi, you look to your future and it's uncertain. To have no family was to have no future in the ancient Near East. And so when Naomi looks down the road of her life, all she sees is fog. Do you remember what she tells her daughters-in-law? Don't go with me. I can't give you anything. At least if you stay here, you have a future. You go with me, you don't have a future because I don't have a future. I look down my calendar for the next two years and I don't see anything worth hoping in. That's where Naomi is. Now, I wish I had time to preach the whole book of Ruth because she's wrong. Amen? Amen? But it's how she feels. What about Jonah? Called to go to Nineveh. Nineveh, capital of Assyria. You know, the very people that tortured Israel. And um, Jonah runs in the opposite direction. And he runs in the opposite direction. Why? Because the only thing he can't stomach more than uh, Nineveh is a God that would be gracious to Nineveh. And so he runs. And God so loves Jonah, he sends a storm. And do you remember Jonah's response to the storm? Pick it up. Jonah 1.5 Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah, watch, had gone down. This is literally and spiritually. Has gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. He doesn't give a rip anymore. He doesn't care. He's not compassionate. I don't care if this costs the sailors their life. If you'll pardon me this uh, metaphor, he is giving God the spiritual middle finger. You say, How do you know that? I know that because Jonah knows the storm is for him. He says so. Later on, he will say, You know, if you just throw me into the sea, all this stuff's going to stop. In other words, he knew God was sending the storm, but you know what his response was? I don't give a rip. I'm going to sleep. And then you remember his response after Nineveh repents. This is Jonah 4 verse 1. It, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, "Oh Lord, is this not what I said When I was yet in my country, it's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew. Here's what I know about you. You're a gracious God. You're merciful. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And by the way, footnote here, I hate that about you. Unless, of course, it's in relation to me. But not a Ninevite. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Don't you dare tell me that spiritual discouragement is abnormal. It is a normal part of even the people of God. Now, why was Jonah deeply discouraged and in despair for some of the same reasons we are. First is a theological crisis. Oh, I wish I had time. I'm serious. I could give you examples when God wasn't the God I wanted God to be. Jonah's problem is, is that God isn't the God Jonah wants God to be. He wants a God that's judgment on Nineveh, not grace and (laughs) God's going to have to rework his theology and I have had times in my life where God has unraveled my theology only to build it back up and hopefully more biblically accurate but that's a painful process he's also in despair because of personal sin Jonah is running from God. It's, just, it's so obvious. Externally, he's running in the wrong direction. Some of you are living in the very opposite direction of what God has called you to. And internally, there is pride and self-righteousness. The, the simple quick point is this. There is no joy in rebellion. He is discouraged because he's in sin. Let me give you one more. Let's go to New Testament. The Apostle Paul. Ha! Ha! The Apostle Paul never got discouraged. He ate nails for breakfast. pastor's done crazy. Paul, like wrote most of the New Testament, the greatest missionary ever known, never got discouraged. Then you should read your Bible. 2 Corinthians 1.8, listen to Paul's own words. This is in a very weird way uh, encouraging to me. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Even what, and I hate the classification, but what you would call super Christian, like the Apostle Paul, got discouraged. Why did he get discouraged? Again, quickly. I don't have a lot of time. The loneliness of the mission sometimes being in the ministry or being a christian in this world can be a lonely lonely place have you ever been there it doesn't mean you actually are alone but you certainly feel alone in the mission and paul was often alone secondly is just the weariness of the mission doing ministry is hard The mission of God can be weary. In Acts 13, he's persecuted. Acts 14, he gets stoned. Acts 15, he faces conflict. In Acts 16, he thought he was going one direction and God redirects him. Never a dull moment in the ministry. And sometimes it can wear you down. Will you look here for just a minute? Will you allow your pastors and elders here to get tired? We're not superhuman. Sometimes the work of the ministry gets exhausting and we can get discouraged. Now, all I've tried to do at this point, I think I've got about an hour left on my time. (laughs) Look here, look here, look here. I wanted to unpack Psalm 42 to describe the condition of the psalmist. I trust I did that faithfully. I wanted to step out and show you that there's actually a lot of Psalm 42 examples in the Bible. And I only gave you four. I could give you more. Now I want to bring us back to Psalm 42 as we close and show us how we can start traveling light. And Psalm 42 shows us how. Three simple things. Number one, speak honestly about how you feel. Speak honestly about about how you feel. The psalmist cries out in the psalm, Why have you forgotten me? Shh! We don't talk like that at church. Now, don't you know that's theologically incorrect? I don't care if it's theologically It's how I feel. Naomi says, I'm bitter. Elijah and Jonah cry out, I'm better off dead. Now you listen, they did not act on that. They did not act on that, but they said it. It's how they felt. Here's what I love about the Bible. I'm about to get really, really excited because I love that we're talking about this in church. The Bible gives you freedom to say things you feel even when they're things you don't believe. The Bible gives you freedom to actually say things you feel even when they're things that you don't believe. Oh, give me a church like that. Job says this, Job 6.26, Do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? In other words, what I'm saying is going to blow away. Quit, Quit being picky about my theology and just let me hurt. I don't believe that God has forsaken me. But I feel that way and I'm going to say it. I don't believe that I'm really empty. But I feel that way. So I'm going to say it. And don't parse my theology. Well, that's not right according to Romans 8.28. Shut up! And let me grieve. If you give me a month, I'll rebuke myself. But right now, just let me say, what a feel. You might jot this down. Part of the freedom that Jesus gives is the freedom to speak honestly. I'll never forget I did a speaking engagement in Florida. Note I love speaking engagements in Florida. And this one was at the beach even better. And Caleb was really young at the time and um, I was with one group. He was with another group. It was around the 4th of July and uh, my son has never really liked loud noises, and so the fireworks start, and uh, he, like a bullet out of a gun, runs from that group to me and jumps up in my arms and says, Why did you bring me here? He questioned his dad. But do you know where he questioned me? In my arms. And I'll take that every day. Because what would be a problem is if you were questioning me as he ran in the other direction. The invitation for those of you that are in the wilderness of discouragement today is to come into the arms of your Father and speak freely. He already knows. And you're never going to travel light until you speak freely about how you feel. But don't just speak freely about how you feel. Secondly, speak hopefully about your future. Jot down verse 11. We don't have time to read it. But in verse 11, he says, I shall praise again. What's he saying? This is going to (laughs) pass. Oh, faith family, will you you come here with me? I don't feel like praising now, but I'm going to praise again. I'm going to praise again. This is going to pass. This is, this is not the final word in my life. There's, there is a day of hope coming. I may not feel that way today, but that day's coming. You just talk to yourself that way. In other words, don't just confess your feeling of hopelessness, but speak with confidence about a future hope. Confess your hopelessness. I just don't feel like you're with me. But I'll feel that someday. I don't, I don't feel hopeful right now, but I am going to hope again. And one of the ways that the psalmist does this is with song. Do you have a song that you sing in the night? It is well with my soul. And you just speak to yourself words of hope that that day's coming. Thirdly, and finally, speak truthfully about your Heavenly Father. Speak truthfully about your Heavenly Father. Jot down verse 7 and 8. Verse 7 and 8, two things are affirmed by the psalmist about God. Namely, He is sovereign and we are loved. He is sovereign and He loves us. Even Naomi cries out, Chesed, the kindness of God. In other words, it goes like this. Here's traveling light. Here's how I feel. I'm not going to feel that way forever. This is going to pass. And until then, I'm going to confess He is sovereign and I am loved. Here's how I feel. I'm not going to feel that way forever. I'm going to hope again. I'm going to praise again. And you are sovereign and I am loved. Here's how I feel. But I'm not going to feel that way forever. I'm going to hope again in your sovereign and I am what? And you just keep speaking honestly and hopefully and truthfully and you begin to travel light. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. And how much more can we do this as Christians on this side of the cross? Because as we look at the cross, what do we see? Sovereignty. For Jesus was delivered according to the definite plan of God. Acts 2. And for God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. John 3.16 We look at the cross and we see what? He is sovereign and we are loved. How much more can we speak truth about our Father because of the cross? We have more than the psalmist had in Psalm 42 to travel light in the wilderness of discouragement. I close with this, faith family. I told you back in our Acts series uh, uh, something unique about Winston Churchill's funeral that he had planned his funeral and he planned that that at the final prayer there would be someone up at the top that would play taps. The universal sound that the day is over. Night has come. And then right after that, he had someone else stationed where they would play Reveille. That is, a new day has come. Rise and move forward. And as I thought about those two things and how they really do bookmark the experiences in the Christian life, and it goes like this. Hear me, faith family. There are going to be times in your life when all you hear is taps. It feels like the day is over and night has come. But the Bible assures us a new day is coming. It goes like this. You meant it for evil. Taps. But God meant it for good. Reveille. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Taps. I will fear no evil for God is with me. Reveille. Though weeping may endure for the night. Taps. Joy will come in the morning. Reveille. In this world you will have trouble. Taps. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Reveille. Faith family, when discouragement is Charging at you, and everything in you says, run, quit, enough, God has forsaken me. You stand there in the truth that you know, and remember, you are not the only one that has ever felt that way. Taps. And three days later, joy came one Sunday morning. Reveille. Faith family. Darkness darkness did not have the final word that day, and darkness will not have the final word today. So fearful saints, fearful saints' fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread, they're big with mercy, and they're going to break with blessings on your head. And all God's people said, Amen. Will you pray with me? Pray with me. God, thank You. Thank You for Psalm 42. Thank You for stories and passages like this that just let us be real. Oh, how we carry the the baggage and the burden of discouragement for so many reasons. That doesn't mean we're abnormal. It doesn't mean we're weak Christian. It just means that we're living in a life where these burdens are real. And thank you, God, thank you, God, that you give us hope. That Jesus is saying, hey, today, if you're weary and you're heavy laden, today, if you are in the wilderness of discouragement, come to me and I'll give you rest. Speak honestly about how you feel. Speak hopefully about your future. Speak truthfully about God. And the rays of light will begin to break through. God, I believe this. And I'm convinced that there are people today that You are and are about to completely transform. There are people in this room, they've been crying the whole sermon. There are people in this room that the moment I pulled out that luggage that said discouragement, they said, yep, that's me. And You have given us a word today of hope. And of freedom, even in the dark day. God, would you now speak to us, free us, draw us to yourself in Jesus' name? Amen.